This week, church, we're going to continue to look at the profound and succinct prayer that Jesus taught his earliest followers. We know it as the Lord's Prayer, or you might know it as the Our Father. If you didn't get to hear last week, Jay preached sermon number one on the Lord's Prayer, so this is a continuation of that. I would encourage you, if you didn't hear him last week, to go to our website, and you can either watch it on video or you can download it and listen to it. Um, It would be a great compliment to what you'll hear this morning as well. We're going to read this prayer together, and then we're going to pray it shortly. Um, So if you have your Bibles or if you want to tap to it, turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the back and in the front as well. Before we go any further, though, let's pray together for the things that God has put on our hearts this morning. Father, we are gathered together to worship you. We believe that we are your redeemed ones because of your work in Jesus. And I pray that you would continue to fill us with your spirit this morning. Would you teach us and form us? And Father, we want to pray together as a church for those who have entrusted themselves to our prayers. Friends and loved ones, church family who has said, could you pray for me this week? Lord, we pray for those in need of healing. We pray for those in the hospital. We pray for those in need of work. We pray for those who are lonely. Lord, for all who have entrusted themselves to our prayers, we lift them to you right now. And Father, we pray for our family who needs to work this morning. They aren't able to be here with us. We pray that you would make yourself very tangibly known to them as they labor this morning. Father, would you move among us as we open your word, as we hear this prayer from your son. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God is gathering people to himself through the work of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, showering on those people who turn to him in faith and in trust, forgiveness and healing, renewing them by his spirit that he pours out upon those people who turn to him in faith. According to Colossians 1.13, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. It's amazing news that in Jesus, we are now included in his kingdom. And in his kingdom, things are as God has always intended them to be. Throughout this Sermon on the Mount that we've been lingering in now for a few months, Jesus has been drawing out for us what does it look like to live in his kingdom? What is God's kingdom like? And how are the ways that we have learned and become habituated to often very different than the ways of his kingdom? Over and over again, he has shown us that he is not primarily at and going towards us just doing new things, behaving in new ways. He is after entirely new hearts, He isn't mainly outlining a way for us to behave, but a way for us to be. A whole new way of being rather than merely appearing. And as he gathers people to himself, he transforms their hearts, the very core of who they are. And when he does that, the life that those people live is radically and life-givingly different than what they could live before. Because Jesus teaches us that it is out of our hearts that flows how we live. 
It is from within that come our words and our actions and our interactions with other people. Prayer that we're talking about for these two weeks is an important way that God transforms our hearts. And it's an important way that we get to participate with God with what he is doing in the world. God has chosen amazingly to include us in his work through our prayer, through our cries to him. It's an absolutely crucial way that we live and function as his image-bearing people in the world. Yet if we're honest, for most of us, prayer can be challenging at times. Like the other topics that Jesus has taught about throughout this Sermon on the Mount, the way that we believe and the way that we function because of those beliefs is often very different than the way he intends for us to in his kingdom. We bring assumptions to life and to prayer that we haven't received from Jesus, but from the world around us, we kind of pick them up like lint. They're not always intentional. They just stick to us or like my lab's hair on my legs. We're not trying to pick these ways up, but we do pick them up. Or we learn how to interpret our own experience of prayer through the way that we perceive it as we experience prayer. So we form beliefs based on our own experiences. The problem with that is they may or may not be in line with what Jesus teaches us. They may be very different than what Jesus wanted us to believe about prayer. Some of these beliefs and assumptions are things like this. Things like, it doesn't matter if we pray or not because God is going to do what God is going to do no matter if I pray. Or God doesn't listen to my prayers because I'm too sinful because of this thing in my life. He doesn't hear me. Or he does listen to my prayers because I'm that great. Or prayer is meant to sound like, and you can fill in the blank, and my prayer does not sound like that. Or it might be simply, I just don't feel like I have time to do that. My life is full, and I just don't have time. I don't think of praying. That's just a sampling, right, of the beliefs and obstacles that could prevent us from entering in fully to a prayerful life in his kingdom that we have been transferred into. Each one of those things that I just mentioned has been an obstacle for me throughout my life with God at different times. They've all been things that I have personally wrestled with. If they're not the things for you, I'm sure there's something else that you would be able to say, yeah, this thing, is, this thing prevents me. It's a challenge for me to connect with God in this way. Yet despite all of those challenges, despite the things that could prevent us from entering into this way of life, human beings seem almost hardwired to pray. Whether it's a spontaneous cry to God in a desperate time of need or a word of thanksgiving when you suddenly realize, wow, that sunset is amazing, or those stars are breathtaking, or that mountain, whatever the thing is, this spontaneous thanksgiving and gratitude can rise up within you, and who are you going to thank? Most people find themselves at least occasionally praying. When surveyed, nearly 80% of Americans say that they pray at least monthly. It's almost as if we need to be taught not to pray rather than to pray, because prayer seems rather hardwired into us. It's in prayer that we find ourselves most human, most living in reality as reality actually is. Because who is it that prays other than the one who is thankful because of grace received? Or because we can't get through today without God's help and we know it. 
or because a loved one is going through something that we know we have no power to change for them. We are helpless. So, of course, we pray. We pray. And prayer is what Jesus continues to do right now. And he models it for us. He is praying for you right now. Have you thought about that before? You could write this down. Romans 8.34 says that Jesus is interceding for us now in this moment. And Jesus is the image of God, the undistorted real thing in the flesh. And he continues to pray. It seems that the only human being who will not pray is the one who lives under the illusion of complete self-sufficiency. For everyone else, we know that we need prayer, even if we don't feel like we're good at it. We know we need it. And that would explain why when we come to this teaching in Matthew chapter 6, that Jesus begins this section with the phrase, and when you pray, and he says it twice. The phrase, and when you pray. That conveys Jesus' assumption that his disciples would be a praying people. They didn't need to, and we don't need to be told prayer is an option. They assumed it was. We know that already, and they knew that already. But we do need to be taught how to pray in light of the way the kingdom of God is. We need to be taught by Jesus how to pray how he prays and how he understood the world and all of reality to be. He needs to teach us that. His warnings, look at verse 5 and then verse 7. He gives two warnings. Do not be like the hypocrites and do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Those warnings make it clear that not all ways of praying, in his mind at least, were equal. There would have been some invalid ways in Jesus' world of approaching God. Prayer for the sake of appearance. Prayer as an attempt to manipulate God or to wear him down because we're using so many words, have no place in the kingdom of God. And neither way makes any sense at all given who God is and who we are now in Jesus. I want to, I'm going to read the prayer first and then I would like us to pray it together, but I thought it might be helpful to have it out loud before we pray it. It'll be up on the screen. This is Matthew 6, 9 to 13. I'm reading from the English Standard Version So you might have a different one. It might read just slightly different. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. So now I'd love it if we could pray that together. And I would say, for me at least, the main difference between reading this and praying this is the gaze of my heart. When I pray this, my heart is gazing at the face of God. And I'm talking to him relationally. So let's pray this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Amen. Jay mentioned last week in his part one of this this two-part series 
that the Lord's Prayer had had a profound effect on my life and it had brought about profound change in my life. It's true. I grew up in a church that was similar to Faith Church in a lot of ways, which meant that regularly praying the Lord's Prayer during Sunday worship was not something I was accustomed to. I saw last week when you raised hands, Jay asked who's, who grew up saying this often in church. Many of you in the room, that was your experience. You, you prayed this regularly as a church. That was not my experience. I did know at a very young age that times in prayer and in God's word were important. I just didn't know, I hadn't, didn't realize that the Lord's prayer could be an important part and life-giving part of those times with the Lord. It wasn't until a season of leading through some very challenging circumstances, circumstances that stretched me to the end of myself, things like interpersonal conflict with some wealthy and powerful men, bedbugs, and college students without a place to sleep. I'm able to say it now and smile, but at the time, I could not smile because the feeling of being overwhelmed by the situation I found myself in and the responsibility for me to lead us through it was way more than I was equipped to handle. I was at the end of my rope and I had no more rope I could make. It was at that moment that an older, about 20 years older than me, and wiser friend called me and said, I'm going to send you two talks. I want you to listen to them. They're about prayer and dependence upon God. And I listened to those talks and it was as I listened to those talks that I heard for the very first time that the Lord's Prayer could be the basis of a joyful daily life of dependence upon God. I could pray the Lord's Prayer every day. For you, that might have been, duh, but for me, I didn't realize that. No one had ever even suggested that I could pray the Lord's Prayer every day. That was 10 years ago, well, over 10 years ago now, and now I cannot imagine my life without these precious words of Jesus because he has so changed me through praying them. To live in and experience the power of the kingdom of God now, we are called to a life of prayerful interaction with our Father in heaven. God gave us prayer as a gift so that we could interact with him, and he intends for us to continually come to him with our joys and our challenges, our sorrows, the things that make us frustrated, all of it. And we can be confident when we do that in prayer that he hears us, and he loves to hear us all the time. The Lord's Prayer that we just prayed together in particular is one of God's greatest gifts to us. We need it to know God and ourselves the way that Jesus intends for us to know God and ourselves. In it, we find Jesus, who was, remember, God in human flesh. In that prayer, we find what he knew that we needed more than anything else. You think about how short this prayer is and how succinct it is. And these are the things that he chose to give us. It's because he knew that these were the things that we are in most need of all the time. These are the things that we need even when we don't feel like we need them and we need something else more than these things that he outlined. These are the things that we need to be able to live on this earth and be part of God's kingdom right now. These are a precious gift from him to us. And if that's true, if it's even partially true that these are the things that Jesus knew we needed most, then a life that neglects to pray these things, to either pray this prayer or to pray through these things in our life, is a life that is missing out on praying for what we most need from God. And that to me is a scary thing. 
This prayer, then, I believe, is an essential part of any human life that we look at and we see that is flourishing. That is life as it's meant to be. That will include this prayer and these things that Jesus outlined for us. Jesus knew that our brains and our hearts need an important daily adjustment. We need to adjust ourselves every day to the reality that we live in God's presence. And the Lord's prayer is one of the ways that we do that. There is, there's so much for us to learn through this prayer. It's interesting if you just think about even what Jesus did here. So this the same prayer shows up in Luke as well. It's a little shorter in Luke, but in Luke, the introduction to it is his disciples saying to Jesus, Lord, teach me to pray. Think about it for a second. If someone came to you and said, you're someone who prays, help me. I want to pray. What would you say to them? It's interesting to think of asking Jesus that question and then thinking about why did he give them these words. Now, if you're like me, for much of my life, if someone said, Jeff, how do I pray? I would have just said, talk to God. Just share what's on your heart with God. And in a way, I think that's actually really good advice because that's part of what prayer is. But I think there's another way of looking at it and thinking, why did Jesus not just say, just talk to God? Why did Jesus give them very specific things that they could be and what he thought they ought to be praying? He didn't just say, talk to God. I believe that he did that very intentionally, that he gave them this prayer because he knew that by praying in this way that he modeled, they would be changed. He gave them these words because they would be formed by these words as they prayed them. This prayer reflects how Jesus sees God. This reflects how he experiences God. This prayer gives us Jesus' priorities for every day. It gives us his theology. And really, because it's Jesus, then, it opens up reality for us. We can see things through this prayer that we would never see on our own without this prayer. And all of that is why I think he didn't just say, just talk to God. Because at that moment, they didn't know these things yet. They didn't have these words in them and understand Jesus' ways the way they would later. So he gave them this prayer as a way of teaching them and a way of forming them to be more and more like him. And that's what Jesus intends for all of us, right? He intends that in every area of our life, in our thinking and in our feeling and in our desiring and in our living, we would become like him. And his prayer is meant to aid us in that process. His transformation, our transformation into his image is his priority for us every day. He wants us to experience the fullness of who God is, the power of his kingdom and the nearness of his presence. The truth is, we are always changing as people. Always. We aren't static, just staying the same. We're very dynamic, always going through some sort of change. The question is, are we changing to be more and more like Jesus, or are we changing to be more and more like someone or something else? I want to make just a few observations this morning about this prayer that that God has taught me over the years of praying it that I hope will be helpful. I hope they will give you another angle, possibly, as you connect with God. But we're not going to be able to exhaust it this morning. So don't worry, I'm not trying to do that. 
The first thing I want to draw out is that this prayer of Jesus starts with Jesus' profoundly intimate relationship with God. He starts with God. The first three phrases that he prays are all about his Father, his Father who he intends for us to enjoy. That's what we were made for, to enjoy God. And Jesus starts with our Father in heaven. For Jesus, God was not cold and distant, out there somewhere, far away from real life. He was his Father who was very present with him. And Jesus trusted his Father to care for him, to care for every need he had, to meet all of them, to love him and protect him, to guide him and provide for him. Jesus was always secure as he lived under the care of his Almighty Father. That's what he means by the phrase in heaven. It's tempting to think that in heaven means far away. If we're not careful, that's where our mind will go. Our Father in heaven, out there somewhere. As if heaven were a place that we could locate potentially, spatially, somewhere out in outer space. And with enough time and technology, maybe we could fly there. That's not what he means. He's talking about the nearness of God when he says, in heaven. The most helpful, quick explanation of what he means that I've heard is that heaven in this case is just God's space. Heaven is God's space, and God's space is not somewhere else. God's space is a different dimension of reality that is literally right at hand. It's right here, not far away. So Jesus is alerting us immediately in this prayer to the loving care of our Father who is right here, right now with us as we do life. What does that mean then for us? Well, just like Jesus, we were made to live life connected to his Father all the time. We were made to go through our days knowing and trusting and experiencing his provision for the things that come up in our life and the things that come up in our friends' and family's lives. We're always safe. The problem is we don't normally feel always safe. We have moments where we don't feel that way. We get anxious. We're worried and fearful. Maybe not constantly, but we need this reminder that Jesus is with us. He will take care of us, and in him we are safe all the time. And Jesus knew that by praying this constantly and habitually, we would learn that. We would be transformed by his grace through his Spirit's work in us that that would become our normal posture. We would know and trust that he is with us. The second thing I want to draw out, Jay mentioned this briefly last week, but I want to go in a little more depth in it, is that throughout this prayer, it is in the plural. Look at all the hours in it. Our Father in heaven, our daily bread, our sins, deliver us. The only pronouns that are singular are the references to God. The most obvious application of that, right, is that Jesus intended that we would pray together. He assumed that his disciples would spend time praying together. For many of us, prayer is a very private and solitary thing. And private prayer with God is really important. But Jesus expected and assumed that his disciples would often do that together. We did that together this morning. 
There's joy in that. He expects and, and teaches that we will have communion with each other as we have communion with God. But in addition to that function, in addition to his assumption that we would pray together, I think the plural pr- pronouns do something more. I think they, they serve to expand the reach of our prayers and grow the circle of the people that we are praying for. So for example, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, who is the us or the our that we have in mind? Who are we praying for? Certainly we're praying for ourselves, right? That's good. We want to pray for our lives and we're praying for those that we might be praying with. We're praying for our families. But as we pray Jesus' prayer more and more, we can't help but realize that the us and the our also includes our neighbors who he teaches us to love as we love ourselves. And then this request can grow to include those for whom that request, food scarcity specifically, is a real issue. And that might be other people in our community that we begin praying for, but it also might be people who live all over the world in places that we will never visit ourselves personally. That growing circle of who we pray for, of who we are growing to love as we pray for them, is one of the profound effects that this prayer can have upon our souls. When we let our master's words dwell in us, dwell deep in us, we start to wonder, who would Jesus have been praying for as he prayed this? He demonstrated it with his teaching and with his living that his love and his blessing was meant for everyone, for everyone who would receive it. He didn't hold back his generous, wide-open inclusion of those that the other religious leaders had excluded from God's presence has radically reshaped the way all of us view the heart of God. Jesus goes after the least of these. God goes after the one lost sheep. He seeks and he finds. And as we pray, not just for my daily bread, but for our daily bread, not just for my forgiveness, but for our forgiveness, not just for my deliverance from evil, but for our deliverance from evil, we grow to desire to pray for and love those whom Jesus does. Our hearts become enlivened to his work of redemption and renewal in the world. And that is when our praying begins to transform our lives even more. After all, when our hearts are growing and that circle of people we pray for is growing, to love more and more the way Jesus does, how can our living not also be changed? If we're praying that God would provide those who need daily bread with daily bread, how can we not also act on their behalf? That's what his spirit starts to do in us when we dwell in this. By continually praying in these ways, our hearts are changed and then our whole living is changed by Jesus. Our lives will increasingly be about the needs of those around us. But what about the remaining topics? So that was our daily bread, which is everything that is needful, everything we need, we're supposed to ask for. But then he goes into forgiveness and deliverance from evil. What might might he do in our hearts as we pray for those things? How else could we be transformed? This is the section of the prayer that we have the most trouble praying together because we've learned different words. So uh, forgive us our debts, or is it trespasses, or is it sins? Whatever word is lodged in you, 
That's great. They're all getting at the same thing. Each one of us needs forgiveness from God for our rebellion against him, for our disobedience to his commands, for all of the things that we desire and think and live that are not according to his kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven. And if we're regularly praying for his kingdom to come in that way, our hearts and our conscience are going to become more and more aware of the ways that we still need to grow and change. And that's why one of the reasons I believe Jesus included this in here, because to pray in these ways is to realize I'm not there yet. I need change, I need transformation if I'm going to embody his kingdom the way that he intends. We need God's forgiveness not just one time, right? It's not just once, it's continually. Again and again, we need his deep cleansing of our hearts and our souls. And the more that we grow in Jesus, the more maturity he gives us, the more we will feel and know that to be true. Just this week, a good friend of mine, 73 years old, a mature follower of Jesus, has been serving Jesus vocationally for years and years, was saying to me that God has shown him in his 70s more and more of how his character needs to change to be like Jesus' character. How much he needs cleansing and forgiveness for the ways that as a 73-year-old who's been following Jesus for decades, he still knows, I don't do it the way I want to. I, st I have not arrived. Jesus teaches us in this prayer that when we realize that, when we know, I need your forgiveness, we simply ask for it. We go to God and we confess our sin to him and we ask him to forgive us and we trust that in Jesus he actually does that. He actually cleanses us. But then notice how Jesus connects our forgiveness with the way that we forgive each other. That's the part of this prayer that I think is really radical. If we need God's forgiveness continually, if that's true, then it's not a stretch to imagine that we would also, in the same way, continually need to offer forgiveness to other people and receive it from them. But if you're like me, other people's sins towards us feel different than my sins towards God in a number of ways. But right now I have in mind that when I sin, I'm saddened by my sin against God. But normally, I'm not surprised by it. I'm not taken aback, like, wow, I sinned. I realize that I'm broken. We realize that we're broken. We were singing that this morning and that we've been redeemed and we are still in process. And even when we are determined not to disobey God, we still find ourselves doing that. That isn't surprising to us. But other people's sins against us, when other people wrong us, that is shocking. That can really take us back and take our breath away. And I believe that one of the reasons that Jesus connected our forgiveness and forgiveness for other people is that he wanted to remind us, just like you constantly need that from me, your brothers and sisters whom you love are going to need that from you. And you are going to need that from them. That is to become the normal part and the normal rhythm of a follower of Jesus that we are ready to forgive that our heart's posture is forgiveness and release. Sometimes people's sin against us is so bad that it feels like we are just to cut them off and to remove them from our lives. 
And there are cases, in extreme cases of abuse, where that's wise. But in most of our cases, in most of the personal conflict that we experience, that is not God's desire for us. Jesus prays this part of his prayer in a way that he assumes that those who receive God's forgiveness will also offer that same forgiveness to others. Because there is no room in his kingdom for grudges or bitterness or growing anger towards others. And forgiveness is not easy. True forgiveness is costly. It's painful. Our forgiveness required the cross. And the cross is the means, but I think it's also symbolic for us and that forgiveness will, will be painful for us like it was for Jesus when he forgave. Depending on the wrong that was done to us by others, it may take us time to get to the place where we are able to forgive. But the point is, that's the direction that we are heading with our lives, that our hearts are growing in forgiveness. We are saddened because of the wrong done to us, but we're also saddened because we begin to know more and more that the person who wronged us is also a victim of sin and its enslaving nature. It's also dehumanizing them. And I, I believe the more that we dwell with Jesus in his prayer, the more he teaches us that. We're no longer surprised by other people's sins. We expect that, and we overcome that with forgiveness towards them. Just like we need regular forgiveness from God, we will offer it to others. The alternative is for us to just cling to the wrongs just latch on to the wrongs that were done to us and to not let go of them. When we cling to that, though, we do harm to ourselves and we enslave ourselves to the same sin that we're angry about. And that's where I think this all-important forgiveness that Jesus teaches us to pray is then connected with this last request that he gives us. This all-important forgiveness is, is connected with lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A heart that is holding on to wrongs, that is refusing to forgive, will be a heart that turns increasingly hard towards the things of God. Bitterness and anger will sadly begin to consume our hearts. One scholar wrote, the heart that will not open to forgive others will remain closed when God's own forgiveness is offered. The heart that will not open to forgive others will remain closed when God's own forgiveness is offered. And we need deliverance from that, church. We need God's power to enable us to forgive in ways that we totally feel incapable of doing. So at least part of what Jesus is praying for here when he prays for deliverance is he's teaching us to pray that we'd be delivered from our own brokenness, from the ways within us that we can be enslaved to, our bent towards devotion to our own kingdom rather than God's kingdom. So we cry out, Father, deliver me from this. Deliver me from these chains. Take a close look at verse 13, the word evil in your Bible. In the English Standard Version that we read, it says deliver us from evil, but then there's a little number above the word evil, which is a translation note. And in that note, it says, or the evil one. So it could read deliver us from evil, or it could read deliver us from the evil one. And some English translations, like the NIV, actually say, deliver us from the evil one. And then they have a note that says, or from evil. 
So the word that is translated there as evil or the evil one could go either way. The point is, we need deliverance from evil and from the evil one. In Jesus' view of the world, all evil has a personal origin. Ultimately, all evil is from the evil one, its source, the enemy of God. It doesn't just exist on its own out there as a thing. It's willful rebellion against God, and that is personal. But this willful, personal rebellion against God can over time take on the form of entire systems of evil that seem to run on autopilot once they are in place. And we need deliverance from those as well. Ultimately, evil is more than any one of us can overcome on our own. We need rescue and protection from it. So we cry out, Father, deliver us from evil. This morning, we're only scratching the surface at what is here in the gift of the Lord's Prayer for us. As we pray this prayer, we participate with God in what he is doing, what Jesus outlined, his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, of good conquering evil, of his spirit reigning in our hearts. God gave us the Lord's Prayer as a gift that we might be able to connect with him, to form our minds and our hearts and our souls in his likeness so that we could live the fullest life that he desires for us, a life that we are in relationship with and constant connection with his Father who is near us and at hand. He means to pray it. He means for us to pray it just as he gave it to us, but he also means for us to pray it as a framework, to use it as a framework or a structure that actually forms and informs our entire life. We can be confident, church, that as we seek God in these ways, as we seek him in prayer, that he will continue to work in our church. He will continue to work in our hearts. And he will continue to work in our community. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot here. And Lord, I pray that you would be teaching us as only you can teach us what it looks like to follow Jesus in his way of prayer, to follow Jesus in his ways of the kingdom. Lord, we cannot do that unless your spirit fills us, so we pray, fill us. We want to bear the fruit of your spirit, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. We want our lives and our hearts to revolve around, to orbit around your kingdom. Lord, would you stir up in us a renewed desire, a renewed passion for prayer, for time with you. And Lord, as we pray, would you give us eyes to see how you are answering, how you are very present, and how you delight to hear us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.